1: Switched
0: Welcome to Switch On Pop, I'm songwriter Charlie Harding
2: And I'm musicologist Nate Sloan
0: Nate, so two of the biggest contemporary stars have collaborated to make one of the biggest meta songs of <laughs> all time. Have you heard about this? I, I believe
2: you're referring to Ed Sheeran and Justin Bieber. That's Am correct. Am I correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah.
0: I don't know the name of their song. I don't care. You don't care?
2: That's the name of their song.
0: Oh, okay.
2: (laughs) It's a who's on first situation. I totally
0: blanked. Uh, They came out with this hit that is already just blowing up, Mm. and uh, many people have asked us to investigate. And so uh, I wanted to play you a clip, and you've never heard it, right?
2: No, this is my inaugural listen.
0: Okay, so I want your hot take, quick listen. It's going to be fun. Hit me.
1: Because I don't care is my baby
2: so the first thing that grabs me is the very beginning of the song yeah
0: so let's just play the intro real quick okay great'm
1: a party I don't be wear suit nobody's even
2: okay so I like this intro because his voice doesn't enter exactly where you think it is yeah like you think there's gonna be one more repetition of that Opening vamp before the vocal comes in. Huh. So it kind of surprised me mm. and I liked that. Yeah. And there's a rhythmic urgency here there because yes. it's so intensely syncopated. Bump, 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 yeah. bump. It's like, whoa, it's it's yeah. very unsettled yeah. and it and it got my uh, my heart racing. Yeah. And so when this song started, I was like, yeah, I'm on board. <laughs> And then as it went on, I was progressively like, oh, oh, that's what you're going to do. Oh, you're going there. Oh, that's the decision. Mm, mm. Mm. So it kind of like every successive section <laughs> kind of I found less in, enthusing, to be honest.
0: Yeah, I, I was feeling that a little bit. Do you want to maybe highlight some of the things that were maybe not exciting you?
2: Yeah. OK, let's go. Let's go straight to the chorus for a second. Yeah. I don't
1: care when I'm with my baby.
2: I feel a certain sense of, like, anticlimacticism or something in the sense that the chorus hits yeah. and nothing really changes. Hmm. I'm not a, a some kind of pop purist that thinks the chorus always needs to differentiate itself musically. Yep. But lyrically, the message here is, like, one of... Uh, Catharsis or transcendence, like yeah. in the verse, it's like, oh, I hate. Here's all the things I hate. <laughs> but then, like when I'm with my baby, I don't care. Yeah. So I do expect some kind of like musical reinforcement mm. of that message when well, it comes to the chorus.
0: I get a sense of that safety from the harmony. Mm-hmm. And here we are, sort of berating a point, which is that this song is a one six four five chord progression. It's the same thing that we talked about in Taylor Swift's "Me" with sorry, Brendon sorry. Urie, "Me." exclamation point all caps yes please continue uh and it's the thing we talked about in another justin bieber song with dj khaled the i'm the one. Six four five. five. yeah and it's the most recreated chord progression in, in history and so in a certain way like that gives you a little bit of the 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 safety i think that you get in the emotional relationship that's going on here sometimes when you do these like meta mashup songs i guess yeah. i come in maybe a little bit more skeptical like okay such big superheroes of of pop music and i just have very high expectations and there were some things here i was like oh yeah it does there feels like some safe choices the piano line is actually the same rhythm as ed sheeran's shape of you check this out take me through that
2: there it is dot 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 Da, da, that yeah. very yeah that that Dembo rhythm yeah. Trasio rhythm that has been like. That's one of the the defining sounds of the 2010s. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So I was like, okay, I I feel like I've heard this rhythm and an insurance song, his last, his biggest hit, uh, and I've I've heard uh, this chord progression a lot. So I'm like, I don't know how excited I am about this, but I think my ear was actually maybe sort of tuned into the wrong things. Okay. So I want to go back to the very first point that you made. Well, actually,
2: before you do, I also that makes me think too how like lyrically the song is also very much a successor to Shape of You. Oh, interesting. Well, like play the beginning of this one again. I don't care.
1: I'm at a party I don't want to be at And I don't ever wear a suit and tie at Wondering if I can sneak out the back Nobody's even looking at me
2: So I feel like there's a, a similar sentiment maybe in the idea of In Shape of You like the club isn't a great place to find a lover so the bar is where I go <laughs> yeah. as to be like, yeah. I'm not really comfortable at this party. Yeah, yeah. There's the something, uh, you know, the anti-social social club yeah. aspect of yeah. it seems yeah. very
0: present here. I think that the person that did that story best was Alessia Cara. Yes. We did a whole episode on her song. Here. That is this sort of internal, you, you get this sense of how uncomfortable she is at the party that she's, attending and you can almost feel like you're inside her head and the sort of anxiety that's going on and the discomfort
2: well it's also very real to hear that from at the time she recorded that i think she was in her teens sure you know and she probably and it felt very real and true to life i'm like i'm not you know I'm sure Ed Sheeran <laughs> does get awkward at parties. Everyone gets like, awkward at parties. I'm not
0: mustering a ton of sympathy for him. How, okay, that said, that, that okay. this is the subject. The I'm uncomfortable at a party. Yeah. I actually think the music serves that message really beautifully. Okay, because as you pointed out, we have this really syncopated rhythm. Yeah, that from the very beginning, it's actually hard to get a sense of the downbeat, right? I want to count four, but you're kind of like feeling threes and fours. You don't actually have a sense of like comfort being at home. Instead, you are sort of away lost in rhythmic space. And his lyric is sort of dancing around this, trying to find a sense of where does it fit in the rhythm. And so I think this sense of anxiety, not feeling like you're fitting in is really perfectly mirrored in the rhythmic choices that they're making in this song which I think is even further emphasized by the timbral choices. You have this deep bass, sort of like a, a club bass happening. Okay. And this sort of out of tune honky tonk piano, this thing that almost doesn't fit in with that sound. Hmm. And I think that that, that is, it, it succeeds in that way. I think that, that there's just a really nice pairing.
2: I've, I find that a compelling, if perhaps generous interpretation. <laughs> and, uh, I, I do see what you're saying. There's like this almost, this music almost serves what you might call like a diegetic function. As in, is this actually representing the party that's happening in the background here that he doesn't want to be at? Yeah, that's exactly right. So that's cool. And yet I maintain my earlier criticism because the chorus should be a place of, of of refuge from that verse, from the from the lyrical and musical quality of the verse, right? Let's go to the final chorus. Okay.
1: I don't care as long as you just fall.
0: So what you're telling me is that Justin Bieber's sweet falsetto is not soothing you as the relationship ought to in the narrative of this piece. No, I do. I do think you're you're right. This final chorus does
2: provide a certain sense of release and catharsis and yeah. certainly in the form of like more long tones, more vocal interjections. But there's no change. And that's and, you know, that's I mean, I don't know why I feel like I'm coming hard at Ed Sheeran today, but that's like kind of always my beef with him. Like, his songs never have any changes in them. They just, like, kind of float along, which is why they are the perfect soundtrack to like anything you're doing and probably a part
0: of the reason they're so successful i wonder if that has to do with the fact that he is so famous for creating looped live music mm. right that his thing is to get up on stage with just an acoustic guitar and a loop pedal and then you know bang on that acoustic guitar to create a kick drum hit a thing with this on the strings to make a snare drum play a bunch of bass lines guitar lines lead lines drop them in and out and if you're going to do that style of music with loops repeating themselves, the real trick is how do you maintain and create excitement yeah. with where the sort of harmonic progression stays the same.
2: You make a great point, Charles, and that is incredibly exciting to watch live, yeah. and easily my favorite iteration of of Ed. So <laughs> you know, I, I'm 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 casting back now to when yeah. we talked about Ed Sheeran with with Ross Golan, and yeah. I do want to spend more time with the song and not just give you my like in the moment response because. One thing that that Ross I think impressed upon me was that sometimes when you're listening to Ed Sheeran and you're like, "Oh, this is so obvious and like simple and straightforward," that's actually exactly the genius of it. Is that it sounds so natural and conversational and easy that part of you is like, "Oh, come on, did you even try?" But like, yes, he did, really hard in yeah. order to make it sound all of those things.
0: That was the other thing I wanted to point out, which is that I know when you listen to the song again, you're be like, Oh, it's catchy Yeah, because man can he write not just a hook, hooks on hooks yeah. on hooks on hooks, each section bringing you into the next. Yeah, And so uh, when this comes out, you and I are going to be both be taking, I think, a hard-earned vacation. Mm. And I think it would serve all of us, though, to go and listen back to our conversation with Ross Golan, one of you know, the top songwriters in uh, L.A., he has a great podcast, and the writer is where he talks to other songwriters. So we spoke with Ross a little while back about really what is the genius of Ed Sheeran. I think we both entered that conversation skeptically. Maybe we're still somewhat mm. skeptical here, I'm, I'm hearing. But maybe we'll be reminded by yeah. uh, a, a really great deep dive into Ed Sheeran's oeuvre.
2: I can see us becoming Ed Heads someday or whatever they're called, Sheeries. I don't know. <laughs> but I can I can see it. I, it's, it's only
0: a matter of time. I hope that you're going to respond to all the fan mail and hate mail that comes in from that. <laughs> I'm really happy to be joined by Ross Golan, who is a uh, hit songwriter who's w- written with folks like Maroon 5, Justin Bieber, Selena Gomez, Ariana Grande. Ooh. Welcome to the show.
3: Hello. Wow. Thank I also, you.
0: I also feel like we should plug You've Got a Great Podcast called And The Writer Is. Uh, where every week you sit down with an acclaimed and venerable songwriter to intimately discuss what happens behind closed doors in the music industry. That's right. Yeah, so we're so excited to have you in the room with us because, first of all, you just have incredible experience with so many songwriters. And if you look at a lot of the songs that we've covered on the show... Either you or someone you've interviewed on your show has probably contributed to that song. So you've got a lot of insight into what's going on behind the process. And we reached out with a list of different songs that we wanted to potentially discuss. And one of the songs that you pointed out was Ed Sheeran's Shape of You. It's been one of the most requested songs that our listeners have asked for, and we've actually been really hesitant to look at it for a certain reason. So what I wanted to do was to break down Shape of You, and in the second half, spend time talking about your podcast, um, and The Writer Is. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Right yeah. on. It might be ridiculous, but background on Ed Sheeran. So <laughs> Nate and I actually have kind of intentionally ignored Ed Sheeran, and I had to look up Ed Sheeran and figure out what is going on with him. Interesting. Interesting. Um, why, Nate? Why don't you? What, what do you think? I think
2: the probably the simplest way to say it is that we haven't really been very excited by a lot of the music we've heard from him. Ah, so whenever we've gone to to do a podcast, he's never been at the top of our list because we just it, it, we just didn't have that sort of visceral excitement. He's
4: a really interesting person. I've only met him a few times, but the first time I met him was backstage at a concert in New York, and I had just gotten off of a plane, and it was probably I don't know midnight. And I'm there with, uh, I, I fly in with a guy named Omar Malik, who you'll see his songwriting credits all over the place. And we yeah. were meeting up uh, backstage at, I can't even remember whose show it was, but we were meeting up with Benny Blanco, who has just wow. recently executive produced this Ed Sheeran record. And backstage was J. Cole and Skrillex, <laughs> and we're all in a circle drinking whiskey and doing shots of Jameson and... Ed Sheeran starts yeah.
1: freestyling.
4: The minute Ed starts freestyling is the minute you realize who Ed really is. Yeah. And as an artist, I- I've worked with a ton of people. I don't know that many people who spit out that that volume of interesting lyrics so quickly Hmm. i mean it's he's truly a savant and the more you get into it and the more you actually go and experience him live or you experience him in in person that's when you actually understand Ed Sheeran.
2: First of all, say wow! What an image of all those <laughs> songwriters, and yeah. Musicians I mean, cl- hanging I'm out the together.
4: Low- I'm the lowest on the rung in that room. You know, it's just whole yeah. like jaw dropping talent.
2: They needed you to to make a mignon, so that's that's why you were there. Exactly. <laughs> I hear what you're saying. In a way, I feel like I like everything about Ed Sheeran. I like uh, his live shows are simply jaw dropping. I haven't been there in person, but I've watched them online. In interviews, he's like effortlessly charming and hysterically funny and he seems really smart i feel like i like everything about him except his music <laughs> so uh, i'm, I'm oh. actually glad to have this opportunity to go deeper into that terrain with both of you and and see see you know how we feel on the other end
0: yeah i think part of what we're looking for is to help convert not so much as convert skeptics but to say that i think on first listen i often just haven't paid attention like the, the first listen I'm like up oh, didn't catch me i'll go find another song for this week and i actually did finally go up and l- look at sort of just Ed Wikipedia page. I was like, wait a minute. Okay, I know he's a ma- major pop star, but the list of things about his background is insane. From totally. being discovered by Jamie Foxx in a small LA club to writing for Taylor Swift, touring with her, winning multiple Grammys, getting huge support by Elton John. And I think I read that for his last, not the most recent album, but the album before, he wrote 140 songs in order to pare it down to- That sounds right. Well, yeah. <laughs> So I honestly just sort of looking at that and then looking at some of his credits, he's written for Justin Bieber. The song we're going to talk about was originally supposedly written for Rihanna. He's now acting on Game of Thrones. Like the size of his stardom kind of really, I I was almost starstruck just reading the Wikipedia. And I thought, you know, one of the things that maybe we're guilty of is is, um, being too stuck in our taste. And so what I wanted to do was take a second to listen to just a little bit of Shape of You uh, together and then break down what's going on. Let's see it. Right now.
1: The club isn't the best place to find the lovers at so the bar is where I go. Mm-hmm. Me and my friends at the table doing shots, tripping fast, and then we talk slow. Mm-hmm. Come over and start up a conversation with just me, and trust me, I'll give it a chance now. Take my hands, stop it, and the man on the jukebox, and then we start to dance, and now I'm singing like, girl, you know I want your love, your love was handmade for somebody like me. Come now, follow my lead. I may be crazy, don't mind me. Say, boy, let's not talk too much. Grab on my waist and put that body on me. Come coming now, follow my lead. Come, come coming now, follow my lead. Mm-hmm. I'm in love with the shape of you. We push and pull like a magnet Although my heart is falling.
0: So, one of my favorite books in the world is this book by Carl Wilson called Let's Talk About Love. you read this one? No. It's a critique of Celine Dion's 1999 album, Let's Talk About Love. The conceit of the book is basically that It's not about Celine Dion. It's actually about taste. And he argues that so often critics use taste as a way to reinforce class structures around what is good and what is not good. And he basically says that there's a major chasm between the perspective of critics on Celine Dion's music and her mass appeal so I think in some ways Nate and I might be guilty of, as I was saying, sort of falling into traps of our own tastes, and upon first listen just being like, eh, "That song's not for me." So what I want to do together is break down what is working about this song. So I just want to hear from your perspective what what is so what what what, what captures you when you listen to this tune.
4: Well, this is fascinating for a couple of reasons. One is Benny, the guy who executive produced the album, was our first guest on And right. Writer Is.
0: It's a great interview.
4: And we were talking about this song and the release of this song. Yeah. And Ed knew through the process, he's involved. Right now, he's planning out the next album. Like, while we're analyzing this, no. he, oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, the first four albums he essentially had planned. Oh my God. You know? So here we are working on this new album. And to him, he's the one who said, let's go and release two singles on the same day. Releases this and Castle on the Hill. Right. right. He says this and the the label's like, no. And he says, just trust <laughs> me. He's the one who has the his finger on the pulse of what's actually working. It's sort of what you were talking about where Celine's releasing songs and choosing to release songs mm. because she knows her fan base loves it. Mm. She's not really concerned about what the critics think. Right. She's releasing gold and platinum records right. because that's, right. that's the process. Right. This song in particular, he wrote with Steve Mack along with two other songs that day. And when they did it... Huh. They thought this was going to be... Um, they actually thought this was going to be maybe a Little Mix song. Like, Steve loved it. And oh. afterwards, they went back and they said, well, what do you think of this? And, and Ed was like, I don't know. Maybe it's more of that.
0: Right, because it, it has a different sort of feel than Ed yeah. Sheeran is known for. It does, sure. It's not so much the acoustic guitar feel. It's it has sort totally. of a dance number.
4: Right. But the thing is that what what Steve's great at as the producer of this song and what he's great at in general is that he knows how to... The, the track's minimal. Yeah. So there's not yeah. a, there's right. not so much going on that you can't just hear the song and the voice right. is what really matters. Yep.
1: The club isn't the best place to find the lovers at so the bar is where I go. Mm.
4: And he worked on the track and made just sure the track was as good as it could be. Mm. It was I, I actually think maybe some of the other songs that, uh, that they did that day may have also been cut by other artists. Mm. But this one they knew was a special song. They mm. just didn't know necessarily where it would go. And you'll hmm. see with writers throughout the process of, of an album, they'll choose their single partly around, you know, if everybody wants to cut this song, yeah. then at some point they may just say, I guess I should release it. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I think that, you know, this song in particular, what yeah. I like about it is that it's super patient
0: it's really patient
4: you know to wait after the one on that pre-chorus is what makes that pre-chorus work because Mm. of the one that break it allows us to get sucked in for a second right which is the only reason why you know the chorus really pops the way it does is because of Mm -hmm. the patience going into that pre-chorus i'm in love with the
1: shape of you we push and pull like a magnet is I'm
0: in love with your body. And then supporting that lyrical or the the rhythmic patience, there is just a really slow build, right? We right. have a single riff throughout the entire song. That's right. The sort of Kalimba feel.
4: Which is really hard. It's hard to write a song where yep. each section has dynamics and they're unique while the track doesn't really slap you in the face with here's the chorus. Yep. You know, it's it's a lot of voice. And and his voice sounds amazing on this record.
0: This is where Upon listening multiple times, I realized that this isn't a departure for Ed Sheeran, but it's actually very much his kind of song. Yep. So I think people are are deceived by the sample that runs throughout, right? That looping, right. funky sound, this thing, right? Yeah. So when you hear this, you're like, oh, this could be a Diplo track, right? Sure. Sure. Then what you get immediately after are acoustic guitar drumming. And Ed Sheeran is known for his live show where he loops himself over and over and over again. And in many ways, this song builds almost like a solo song that he's looping on his guitar. And each element comes in slowly and then huh. drops back out as if he's hitting a looping pedal.
4: Yeah, you can see it best in the, the Grammys this year. Yeah. He was there and he did it did it live. And you can see um, what he's capable of there.
0: Oh, yes, yeah, it's, it's remarkable. Yeah. And, and then even just the, the flow of, of his words is very normal for Ed Sheeran. You have a lot of lyrics happening really quickly with a lot of right. syncopated rhythm and it works really well with this track but it's something that he does just as well with a strumming acoustic guitar so he's I think he's actually really taking his style as of a live performer um, his style as a lyricist his style as an acoustic guitar player and he's just giving you something slightly different this, sure. this little loop and for most listeners they think oh this is a total departure but it's actually very much in line with everything that he does
4: yeah, and, and in a way, shame on the artist who just releases the same song over and over again. Yeah, right. You know, the guy who releases, if he comes out and he releases A-Team again, my guess is we're all going to say, ah, he already did this, and he didn't do it as well as A-Team. Right. I applaud mm-hmm. an artist, especially of the magnitude of Ed's career right now. Yeah. Not only does he release it, but the idea was that when he releases, he's going to release Castle on the Hill at the exact same time which is a totally so, different song. Totally different song, and it allows its his fan base to say he didn't right. leave us completely. Uh. So he's really smart in making <laughs> sure that that other song will keep the wolves at bay.
0: Right. While uh, Shape of You might climb up the top 40 and bring in new listeners that might otherwise not have paid attention, a la me and Nate. I've heard that this song was not even going to make the album.
1: Really?
4: Yeah. There are some songs that are on the cusp of, well, it doesn't make sense in the album, but it's such a good song that maybe it should be the single. And that Mm. happens on a regular basis because you have a collection of the core eight, nine songs that make up the album. And then you're trying to figure out what are the best songs that have the best shot. And he decides to go with Shape of You. Mm. And I know there were some opponents to that song being Uh the single. And it's that thing of, and he knows this, that if it works... Yeah. and radio does respond to it, then it's fair game for whatever he decides the second third, fourth, fifth single is. Oh interesting because he then depicts he he's the one who's dictating the how radio programmers are choosing the next single hmm. and if they fall for shape of you, they're gonna fall for the rest of the album hmm. and it worked it was a it's a brilliant strategy Wow and it's a lot of strategy on that side.
2: That's you know I am thinking about about what you've said and maybe now can credit Ed Sheeran a little more with being having having a very productive mix of being like at once very calculating and at, at the same time kind of spontaneous like the, these anecdotes you know of, of like having the control over his uh, release strategy and that kind of calculation at the same time the the spontaneity of busting out a freestyle maybe we hear both of those in his music like I am thinking about this song now. In terms of the what Charlie was talking about, the way it's just like filled with lyrics that sound at once very conversational, mm. ah, and very natural, yeah. yeah. And at the same time, you think, no, he really carefully selected where each of these words go. And as you were pointing out, like where they go in terms of the rhythm of the song, giving a pause on the first on the downbeat. So maybe, maybe I'm I'm, I'm starting to see like maybe that's kind of a part of the secret of his success is that. It's like sound. It's very calculated, but sounds very casual at the same time. Last thing
4: I'll say before we get into the song, because I know you, we we need to do that. But you know, his ingenuity in something like "Love Yourself," which is conversational and is so um, colorful, his ability to to write that record, and that's an Ed Sheeran record. Mm. It was the fact that it was mean that he didn't want to release it. The fact that it was not, yeah. (laughs) I mean, otherwise, that'd be an Ed Sheeran record. <laughs> uh-huh. so if
1: you like the way you look that much, oh, baby, you should go and love yourself. So
4: oh, uh. he's still making sure that he puts out records that are primarily a positive message or they're a colorful right. message.
0: Well, that gets us into maybe the, the song. The opening lyric is, the club isn't the best place to find a lover, so the bar is where I go. I I think that's a really great line because first it references the tone of the song, right? This is a club song. Oh, yeah, yeah. But it's (laughs) it's also subverting its own expectations, right? And the idea of, man, I'm not having a good time dancing on the floor. I'm just going to go hang out with my friends at the bar and have a drink is immediately recognizable, right? Like anybody can grab onto that like, oh, yeah, I know how that feels. And so it has that conversational feeling. And it's actually why, upon further listening to this track, I was grabbed by it. Yeah.
4: It's smart. <laughs> I mean, it, you, you'll you start realizing as we go through all these lyrics that none of them are by accident. Right. It's the little details. It's when you say, you know, your love was handmade for somebody like me. Girl,
1: you know I want your love. Your love was handmade for somebody like me.
4: The word handmade for mm. somebody like me is actually way more descriptive than we would probably give it credit for. Just listening mm. and pass, mm. you know, like yeah. you would just listen to it and you'd say like whatever you would say. I guess the, there are a million ways you could say that. And it, I don't know if I've ever heard that in a song. I don't know if I've actually ever heard your love was hand it, it, hand you know, Your like love a... was handmade for somebody like me. I don't know if I've ever heard those words before in a in a pre chorus. And when you think about it, how mm. many of those moments does it take to make a song unique? Mm. And already he's yeah. starting off with this strong line and that song's in the pre-chorus,
2: you know? Yeah, that handmade line really stood out for me the first time I heard it and kind of is, is like in some ways the linchpin of this whole song. Because I think if we get into a little bit why we also take issue with Ed Sheeran, part of it would be a certain what we perceive as a certain genericness in some of his songs. But that line cuts through in such a powerful way because you're right, it is unique and a little familiar, but also unexpected. So, yeah, so I, I think I, I like that you highlighted that line. It seems like an important one.
4: Yeah, it's a, even in the rhyme scheme in the chorus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: I'm in love with the shape of you.
4: For him to essentially not make it rhyme with I'm in love with your body and have it tie it into every day discovering something brand new, I, I always thought he was going to go and rhyme with body. Mm. Right. You know, but instead he goes, I'm in love with the shape of you, which is actually more of like a Nashville style rhyme scheme. Oh, yeah. Which is really interesting. To me, that was a, a really interesting choice that may have happened in the moment. I'm not saying that was necessarily deliberate, but that's a really smart rhyme scheme because you're expecting it to rhyme with body. At least I was. Yeah. But it because it rhymes it, it's not wrong, it's just a choice. So I like that. And and again, remember when you're listening to A-Team, let's go back to the beginning because I think if you judge Ed Sheeran on this and his uh-huh. whole career on this or even um you know, what's the what's the record that he won song of the year for? Thinking out loud. Yeah, thinking out loud. Thinking out loud. Like know. that's like a stream of consciousness. Not only is it, you know, it's it's everything that's antithetical to my career as a, as a professional songwriter, <laughs> you know, but then you go and you hear what he can do on something like Love Yourself and you realize that sometimes he's intentionally speaking off the cuff and the reason why his fan base loves him so much is... Is that it? Sounds like that kid who is the best guitarist, singer, songwriter in your dorm, and you don't feel like you don't feel yeah. like this guy is. He's not a product. He doesn't look like the product. He doesn't right. sound like the product. And he deliberately releases songs along the way that can keep you guessing whether or not he's the guy in the dorm or he's Taylor Swift. <laughs> right. And that's like, and Taylor Swift is also good at that. Yeah, Yeah. But those are super deliberate writers who are doing that on purpose.
2: It's a clever
0: double act to be able to sustain like that. I agree. I like how you say he keeps us guessing. And perhaps that's what makes this song particularly powerful. We've established that it runs on a loop of the exact same chord progression throughout. You have underlying throughout most of the song the kalimba sound and the acoustic guitar drumming. They drop in and out a little bit here and there. Kalimba, incidentally,
2: The sound of 2016, as we were told by Gray in our last episode.
4: Oh, yeah. I mean it's already this is the pinnacle of it you know and if right. you're talking about 10 years ago people are using shorty <laughs> in every song you know or, or you start using the word swag in a song or you have dubstep bridges everything had a dubstep bridge right. whatever right. that is you know right. this is the same sound that you hear in you yep. know don't wanna know I don't wanna know no no
1: no who's taking you home oh 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 I'm loving you so 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 I used to
4: love, you know, it's basically the manifestation of what Kaigo did last year. Yep. Mm-hmm. And this is the, uh. the pinnacle of where it enters the pop zeitgeist. It's also the thing that a lot of labels are already like, yeah, and we, we the, already have it. Well, <laughs> right so,
0: so if it is so established, I think yeah. this is exactly the point. It's what he does with it and makes it different and and where he subverts our expectations that, right. that makes it work. Well, because so, it
4: doesn't work with Ed Sheeran. Like, yeah. who would have thought oh, it sounds, you know, it's, it's like a remix of an Ed Sheeran right? Yeah.
0: If Ed Sheeran is successfully both establishing something where our expectations are set and then subverts them, where in this song musically do you feel like he's playing with our expectations really successfully?
4: Well, I mean, you've realized, obviously, you guys are on the same page with this that, you know, being a, a writer is, isn't being an illusionist. So hmm. the fact it, it's what I was saying right from the beginning that you kind of have this wordy verse.
1: A club isn't the best place to find the lovers, so the bar is where I go.
4: Sort of rappish. Hmm. You know, it's reminiscent of kind of that early 2000s, kind of like what you, uh, you dance to in your fraternity or something like that. It's like kind of like it's got like a biggie light kind of
3: vibe. I was and stuff. Now honey's play me close like play from the Mississippi to the East Coast. And
4: then I think that pre-chorus, the fact that it comes in late, That's sort of going from the verse and you have this wordiness and then purposefully giving that space before the first line of the pre-chorus is Really, the example of writing at your best.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm in love with the shape of you. We push and pull like a magnet. Although my heart is falling into, I'm in love with your body. And last night you were in my room. And now my bed sheets smell like you.
4: Every day discovering something. Brand just when you're waiting for that song. I mean, that's a lot of dead space. Hmm. Yeah, It's a lot of dead space in the middle of a pop record.
1: Now, mm-hmm. I'm in love with the shape to
4: have, what is that? I mean, I guess the line before it ends before the one. That comes in on, what, beat three? So you're talking about a whole measure of just kind of like nothing. Hmm. Yeah, no three long beats. Well, actually, then you have the... Mm. Yep, you have a little lead in. That was super smart. It uh, gives... I always talk about how we have to frame things. We have to frame titles. We have to frame sections. And he so well frames each section in this. You know what the verse is, what the pre-chorus is, and what the chorus is. And you are dragged through it whether you like it or not. Right. Even the fact that you guys aren't into it, you still at the end, it's a... It doesn't matter whether you like it or not. You still yeah. ended up listening to the whole thing because it's super well crafted.
0: Again, I think the, part of the reason why I, I jumped into this thing, eh, it's not for me, is I think when I first heard that, the first loop, I was like, eh, I'm not interested. But then I listened all the way through. And then I went and recreated the entire track and tried to break down every little piece. There's so many pieces which are so intentionally assembled to get you from one section into another or to make you hear a section in a new way all of these moments where there is uh, spaciousness in his vocals. Part of what's happening is there's also these wild polyrhythms happening with a triplet feel in that main line, which is then being supported by or augmented by synth strings that pop up and are kind of in the background and give you something to just like pop up on on that last beat of the triplet. So in, in the kalimba, he'll go da, da, da. That last note, he'll add a little... Da, da, gah, strings yeah. that pop up over it and so it's just constantly each time that it comes through it's in a new context even though it's fundamentally so simple Yeah. and each time that he goes into a new section we get whether it's a he, he adds an analog bass he adds sort of a bigger thicker bass he adds that those synth strings There's subtle clapping with lots of reverb, and each time it feels like you're listening to the same thing, but it has a totally new context. So I think those rhythms and how they support each other really reinforces that idea that he can leave spaciousness in his vocals because there's something which is going to catch you and you're going to dance to. Yeah.
2: Yes, it does seem like the further we dig into this song, the more there is to laud here, Uh, but gentlemen, at this point, I have to say it is time to take our commercial break. So when we
0: return more with Ross Golan, stay tuned. relief with Astapro, go to astaproallergy.com for a discount. That's A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Use as directed for relief, nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies.
3: Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team
2: Welcome back to Switched on Pop. We are here in the studio with songwriter extraordinaire Ross Golan. Not only does he write number one hits for artists like Ariana Grande and Selena Gomez, he also has an awesome podcast where he talks to other songwriters. It's called And The Writer Is.
0: Thank you. So you have the opportunity to talk to songwriters all the time, both as a career songwriter, you are constantly collaborating it's not the uh, individual genius writing on sheet paper anymore, right? But that even that even ever existed is a myth. But it,
4: <laughs> it, was, it was so that was collaboration. I want people yeah. to look up the Brill Building.
0: Yeah, which pre
4: nineteen sixty four was essentially a bunch of you know mostly two person writing teams yep. that really were shaping pop music, and they would go and they would have these cubicles essentially with a piano. People would walk in and they would say, "What if you do that? What if you do that?" Hmm. And in that era, I have this debate a lot because I'm part of the Grammy board and we talk yeah. about these kinds of things. You know, there was an era where the guy who goes do 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 <laughs> doesn't get songwriting credit. Oh. You know, the guy who goes yeah. do 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 is playing bass in a bar in Toronto right now to and, make a living, right. be, even though he wrote the hook on two number one songs. So yeah, yeah. when you see a list of writers, yeah. we're making up for the faults of all the generations yeah. in, in yeah. you know, Motown. Side, mm. That's not Brill Building, those two songs, but where they weren't giving songwriting credit right. to the people who were actually writing the, some of the main right. themes and songs. Right. So we're a different generation where collaboration is is essential in what we do and we actually give credit. So rather than looking at a song like, "Oh yeah, they only had needed two writers to write this song," and you see all those memes where it'll be twenty writers on a Beyonce song, right, and yeah. they'll show two and they'll somehow right. say like, "This is better." No, 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 no. Yep. Those two guys stole a bunch of ideas by the <laughs> eleven guys who are actually writing the, a lot of the music, <laughs> and they, you know, you could look at it like that too. And this is coming from the guy who's writing almost all the lyrics and melodies in sessions.
0: So you've expanded this collaboration beyond just the songwriting room, you're, you're now taking that collaborative songwriting process into a larger conversation. You have a podcast called And The Writer Is, and it's an mm. interview show where you talk one-on-one with other songwriters who I imagine are both part of your songwriting network, which is an ever-expanding intersecting circle of other songwriters, and you start to see uh, one songwriter participate in this with this other person, and they're all linked together. I wanted to ask you about what what kind of things come up between two writers that's different than, say, when a songwriter goes and and talks to Terry Gross?
4: I like that you asked that question because I think that's the real difference between what we're doing and and what you get on NPR. And the reality is that, one is, all songwriters have gone through a little bit of the same process. We all wanted to get in the music business. You know, songwriters were either trying to be artists or (laughs) they want to be artists still. Right. So... Most of the guys have either been in bands, have had record deals. They've worked with bands. They So right. they, we have this similarity there. But in the real human sense, we spend hours and hours together. We eat meals together. Yeah. We eat. We all know when our families are sick. Yeah. When it's my wedding and half the people there are songwriters, it's not because, huh. you know, and, and you're talking about we have – a bunch of number one writers and grammy nominating Grammy-winning producers at our weddings. It's not because we're trying to network. It's because when I need, when I'm in a session, yeah, we're really telling each other what really matters. Yeah, and we're there to hear all of it—the mm. so darkest and the ha- happiest. I mean, you know, talking about. The guys from Shape of You, and you're like, you know, you can hear in the Benny, the the executive producer, of that you'll, you if you listen to that, you can hear one. We've been close for a long time, but his story's incredible. You yeah. know, you're talking yeah. about a guy who wrote An I kissed a girl at 18 years old, <laughs> and and that was not he had at, before that had already had number one songs. Wow, you're talking about. A guy who essentially lived on the streets in in New York because his mentor passes away and he's looking for a place to live, and you're like, this
0: guy's journey is incredible. That that interview had me totally, I was totally enraptured in it. I, his story is, uh, yeah. Like,
4: how are we supposed to be friends? Like, how yeah. am I? I'm a. I'm just an overgrown kid from from the <laughs> suburbs of Chicago. Who, with Steve Mack, you know, when, when I go to London, Steve, the producer of, of Shape of You, Yeah. you know, I, I tend to write mostly with Steve when I'm there. So we go and we yeah. spend, you know, I, I get a hotel that's only three stops away from, you know, from his studio. And we spend a lot of time just the two of us in front of a piano, you know, and it's just the two of us talking about life. I've yeah. gone to concerts with him and his girls, you know, I know about his family. I know these guys are not just to everybody else. They're writers, and to us, we're family. We're literally going through this grind together because we have to. It's it's these. It's just this huge network of friends and family, which is which is different than that previous generation. You know, when we talk about all those mm. songs that had only two writers on it. Man, I wish I was back then. I'd be a lot more yeah. <laughs> wealthy. But it, but in a practical sense, there was a lot of animosity in that generation. And right. there was there were a lot of bullies in the music business. And it's... right now there are no bullies. You have to be nice. You have to be friends because word travels really fast when you're a dick.
3: So <laughs> oh, everyone
4: man. wants everyone's friends with each other. And this podcast to me I have this book that everybody signs that I've worked with. Yeah. And there's 400 names in it. It's wow. everyone from like Bon Jovi to, you know, David Guetta. And then it's everyone from Lamont Dozier to Max Martin. And wow. to me, it's like, I want to go back and I want to sit there and talk to these guys about how is it possible that I'm sitting in a room <laughs> with Savin Kotecha, who wrote Into You, who I, you know, when you guys did that. Savin's this guy who was born in a conservative Indian family in the middle of conservative Texas. And he happens to write songs in his room because he loves it. Yeah. He writes a song and he sends off this song to like a competition. He ends up getting this weird deal with in Nashville. The song ends up making it to the A&R for Backstreet Boys. And he almost had a 100% song on millennium until his, his parents said, no, no, you made a deal with somebody in Nashville. You can't do that. Huh. At 17 years old, he almost sold 25 million copies of a song. So how wow. does this kid in a conservative family in Texas, who's he's a first-generation American, how does he end up in Sweden... <laughs> Be, how does he then marry a girl? End up as a as a vocal coach on X Factor in the UK, <laughs> where he has the opportunity to break One Direction. Wow! Which then brings him to to LA, where he then ends up being a big part of Max Martin's right. publishing company. Yeah. How is it that that guy who I've been friends with for years? You know, I write Dangerous Woman in my car. You know, bring, spend a month on that chorus. Bring it mm. into my friend, who's um, who I write almost everything with. We rewrite the song, the you know, put it all together, yeah. and we show show Savin. And even though at the this time it was with another artist, Savin's like, "Let me play it for Ariana." He plays it for Ariana. Ariana comes upstairs and says, "Can I please make this the lead single? I'll make this the name of my huh. tour and my album if you just let me have a chance." Yeah. So we give her the chance and she kills it. And so my life has changed because an Indian guy from Texas finds his way into the same family that I end up in. Like that's what that podcast is about.
0: I like, I like that you call it a family because... Not only are your stories interconnected because you all depend upon each other, but in the songwriting process, you have to have such a deep level of trust. Because you have to be able to say, uh, your chorus doesn't work. I'm gonna you're gonna scrap that, we're gonna do this. Okay, cool. Oh, but your idea, no, well, let's work on something together. You're constantly having to be vulnerable you're having to give up ideas, you're having to present ideas, and you have to be in a place of both having complete buy-in around the vision of what you're producing, but also no attachment to what's happening as it's going. Yeah. Imagine
4: these artists who are all over TMZ, who are all over the world, and they have to walk in, and they have to tell me their deepest, darkest things that are going on. (laughs) You know? Like, these people are really brave in many ways. And they're having to walk in, and they have to go, and they have to tell me about what they're what they're really dealing with. And they have to trust me. Yeah. You know, I always say, if you want to know what it's like to write a song, to be a professional writer, walk in a room with people you don't know, sing at them, and then ask what they think. <laughs> yeah, for you sure. You know, I mean, That's I have terrifying. to walk in, and every single time, I mean, yeah, I was with a major artist last night, and it's still the same thing. It's like, okay, I have this idea. Is this any good? Yeah. You know, for all angles. I mean, we're yeah. all like that with each other. And it's like, I have no idea. I mean, imagine just walking into any room and sing it with at whoever the people are in the room and just you'd be yeah. nervous. I don't care how many times you've done it. I don't care how many times you think you've had a hit song like it. You're just a kid in their car thinking of a concept and, and working through a melody and being like, I don't know. It's good. <laughs> and I guess the, and the writer is, what's so exciting about it is that we talk a lot about process and how people write, but the people who write these songs are
0: just fascinating. Yeah. There's great, some really yeah. great stories in there. Yeah. So if people want to go listen, they should find it. iTunes, anywhere you find your podcast. iTunes, podcasts. Spotify now.
4: Yeah. It's basically anywhere we can find podcasts. All of our handles are at, and the writer is, or cool. I'm at, at Ross Golan and, uh, yeah, there you go. Awesome.
0: Well, it was such a pleasure having you on the show. Really excited to to break down those songs. I, I definitely am a bit more of an Sharon convert, both for his uh, <laughs> sheer talent that is incredible to hear about, and also as I listen more to his tracks, I find uh, I am more drawn in. Uh, so, thanks for breaking it down with us.
4: Yeah, of course. Thank you, guys.
0: Switched on Pop is produced by me, Charlie Harding, and me, Nate Sloan. Brandon McFarlane edits, mixes, and masters our show. Sarah Terry is our community manager. And our executive producers are Nishat Kurwa and Allison Rocky. We're a production of Fox Media.
2: You can find more episodes at switchonpop.com or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Hit us up on
0: Twitter, Instagram, at SwitchedOnPop. We'll be back with more episodes in another week. See you next Tuesday. And thanks, thanks for, for listening. listening.